Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Opposing Points podcast. I'm so excited for our first guest, uh, Julian, as he's a personal friend of mine that was in New York City um, uh, during the, as it was the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're here to talk about some of his experiences through those ebbs and flows of the pandemic. And I hope any listeners will be able to gain a new sense of appreciation and awareness um, for what our frontline workers have uh, persevered through. So welcome to the blog, Julian. Is there anything that I uh, missed or? Thank you, David. No, no, I'm a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's you know, my first time doing something like this. So uh, I think I appreciate your patience and everyone's patience and uh, you know, us, you know, me doing my best to kind of share uh, what I've experienced and I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, novice interviewer, novice interviewee. Um, <laughs> this is not MSNBC or, or Fox News, so <laughs> so it's probably more tolerable. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so so I'd like to start off with kind of the question, um, like what got you into uh, medicine and, and wanting to be a nurse? Because um, I, I know when we graduated, you were, you weren't necessarily gravitating towards that so yeah well I, I graduated with a degree in neuroscience originally um, and my thought was always to get into uh, the healthcare field in some way um, and I wasn't sure exactly how that would manifest um, and then through a series of you know, interesting life experiences um, and pressures and uh, um, stressors I guess uh, I you know ended up applying to nursing school um, and I got in and it felt, felt very right. Um, and so I graduated in 2018 with a bachelor's in nursing. Um, and I started work uh, in Manhattan um, pretty soon after that. Um, I worked on a medicine step-down uh, unit, which is kind of a hybrid uh, regular critical care um, unit, uh, not quite intensive care. And then I transitioned into um, and I see you also uh, in New York City um, in February of 2020. Uh, so it was really right before, right yeah. at the start of the pandemic. So I was training through the early periods of the pandemic, which was really an, an interesting experience. Um, so uh, that that's kind of, I guess, the story. You know, I I think you know getting into medicine, you know, has afforded me an opportunity to really. Uh, to really connect to people in meaningful ways um, that's above and beyond. I think just, you know, you know, seeing someone on the street or, or, you know, um, you know, a regular interaction at a coffee shop or something like that, or working in, you know, business or retail, this was an opportunity to really kind of um, affect uh, change for people, I think, and uh, be there for people in a meaningful and, and, uh, impactful way. So that's kind of what, what led me, what led me here. Awesome. And I like, you know, I assume you see people's best days when they're hopeful and also, and also the sad ones, but I'd, I'd like to hope that the, the happy ones kind of outweigh that. It does. It, it, I mean, it does. And it, and it has to, um, because otherwise it's, it's a difficult uh, field to be in. Um, it's definitely, you see a lot of, a lot of bad things and a lot of good things. And, you see the worst in people and also the best in people. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. So February, 2020, Julian starts nursing. <laughs> uh, it's also, you know, like a, what, a, maybe three weeks before the first case is kind of diagnosed. I think it was maybe in Seattle. Oh, man. Um, I, yeah. 
what they say was the first case, um, as we know, in uh, from from Scott Gottlieb's book that I just uh, wrote a bit about on. Um, it was probably circulating far before. Uh, yeah, uh, and it was probably widespread in the community before then. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're treating this thing like the flu at the beginning. We don't know what it is. Um, we're not able to access any information about what it is. Um, you know, the president of China is telling Trump that it goes away with like hot tea and in the summer um, and, and he's saying you know many people are saying so you know he's duped what do we expect right um Everyone's so downplay it yeah yeah i mean you know right there right then and there so you know this was a scary thing right you know we don't know what this thing is we're being told it's the flu but it doesn't seem like it um and and you know th this led to <clears> some <throat> of the discounting of like asymptomatic spread um which is really scary um and and like I'm just thinking about if COVID had a higher death rate than it did is really scary when you mix it with an asymptomatic spread. Um, you know, like the mm -hmm. game pandemic where it delays the onset um, before before it kills as many people as possible. So we actually kind of got lucky, maybe in the sense that it wasn't as deadly as it could have been, although it did it did and has killed a lot of people. Um, but in the sense of it being such an unknown thing. Um, and I know there were some struggles getting masks. Like, what kept you moving forward, um, and what were those days like? Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty scary early on. I, I remember, uh, you know, we there was a report of the first hospitalized case, um, you know, in Manhattan, or I'm sorry, in New York State. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, I guess you know being be, you know being in the work environment that I was in wondering what this meant and what was coming um, and i think everybody was expecting more to come in and you know from my perspective at this point i spent a lot of time you know researching online how deadly is this what is the data that we have so far like you know because i i'm looking for every reason to feel more comfortable um but the truth of the matter is is that we really didn't know and i i remember looking at a graph and seeing you know it's got a one percent death rate amongst you know people uh my age or something like that which turned out to not be true it turned out to be less than that um but you know i i was like okay one percent like i can do this like <laughs> i can figure it out even though i'm going into work and having trouble you know there was limited supply of you know personal protective equipment um but you know people still showed up to work and I don't really know still what kept people showing up. I mean, I worked with a lot of um, a lot of older people um, who were definitely vulnerable. Um, but you know, people I think had a sense of duty, um, and uh, you know, everyone was just kind of hoping and praying that things would things would work out okay. Um, so. Yeah, it was it was this, it was stressful, you know. Early, I remember subways being empty those first couple weeks, um, and I actually ended up catching COVID. Uh, the I think it was like middle of March I caught COVID, and this was really very early, you know, in the in the pandemic. We'd just gotten a couple COVID cases um, in our ICU, uh, the ICU that I was at, and um, I remember, you know just knowing immediately, like as soon as I had a fever, I remember just thinking this, this has got to be it, you know, this is, you know, so I ended up spending like a week in bed 
And uh, it was, you know, it was definitely sicker than I've ever been before. Um, I was not critically ill by any means. I never went to the hospital. I was never, you know, symptomatic of, you know, I never really had any respiratory symptoms. I didn't have a cough. I wasn't short of breath. Um, but I had a, a, a mean fever, um, something that I hadn't experienced before. And I was sweaty and sore every day for like five, six days. Um, so yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but. Oh, no. No, I, I really, yeah. I think it adds color. And, and just for context, uh, there's probably a less than 1% chance of being eaten by a shark, but I don't go in the ocean. So <laughs> I still, still applaud that. Uh, like, no, I'm not going to be that one guy. Right? Uh, so, so, like, walk me through, you know, someone comes in with, like, a hospitalized case. And there were so, I feel like there were so many different symptoms. Like, some people presented bowel issues, some people breathing um, some people didn't show any symptoms. Some people young and healthy died. Some people fat and unhealthy didn't die. I, I think yeah. it tends to lean towards largely like obesity um, in, in terms of contributing to death, but it, it didn't always fall that way. Um, you know, people with asthma, you'd think, oh man, that's, that's it. Um, and, and they were fine. So I, I, there's such a disparity yeah. and unknown to it. That's kind of creepy. Like you really don't know. You're like, oh, Today I'm fine, day four, but like, you know, I have, a, I have a horrible fever, but what's tomorrow? Like, I imagine that fear is like pretty real. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, I, I had a fever for, I think it was 36 hours and it went away and I was like, okay, this, this is, this wasn't too bad. And then, you know, two or three days later it came back and the fever was like 103, you know, mm -hmm. 5, um, which is high. Um, and uh, I think that was concerning and shocking because it was like why did it come back after three days um but then it went away and it was fine um i think a lot of people were showing up i mean the most pressing problem was this uh shortness of breath you know and the what we call hypoxia um or you know low uh levels of oxygen in the blood basically from mm -hmm. this really severe uh inflammation of the lungs um, there are plenty of people who, you know, had additional symptoms like, you know, uh, like a lot of bowel symptoms and stuff like that. Um, but probably that was the most concerning thing. And, and the people who made it to the hospital, um, you know, all presented pretty much the same way, which was, you know, low blood oxygen levels, um, trying hard to breathe and, uh, that was, you know, pretty standard presentation. I, I do remember uh, hearing some isolated cases because a lot of people with COVID do get blood clots. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people were having strokes a lot. I don't, I don't know the numeric, I can't provide any numerics or data on that. You um, saw it, you know. <laughs> but, but right, I mean, there, there were reports and it was concerning, um, you know, people who were, you know, dying of strokes and having, uh, you know, dying of cardiac arrest from, you know, heart inflammation, um, from COVID as well. And, uh, so it was really kind of shocking and scary, you know, no one knew, I think what any of this meant. Um, and, you know, in the early days in the hospital, we didn't have any, we didn't really have tests. And I, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, we're talking about how the CDC botched kind of the first round of, of tests that went out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so nobody could get a test. So a lot of these patients were presumed positive, which is, you know, I mean, they were, they clearly had COVID, but it was like, 
we couldn't even test them for it, um, you know, in the, in the early weeks of this until everybody kind of got their act together. Um, and, uh, you know, when I got COVID, I couldn't get a test. I was told to stay home unless I got really sick mm -hmm. and I was told to come in. Um, you know, fortunately that didn't happen and I wouldn't have expected it to happen in someone my age, um, without any, uh, like serious health problems. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, you know, it was, it was, that was another kind of, uh, side to this that was, that was complex was, you know, not being able to test anybody in the early, early stages. I feel like that model of wait till you get sicker to come in is like totally new. Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's how overwhelmed hospitals were. I mean, <laughs> right. that's how bad it was, you know. It was a method of triaging because, like, right. people who otherwise would have totally been admitted and given supplemental oxygen and all this stuff, we just couldn't, you know, because there was someone who was sicker who needed to come in. And and I remember at the time that, you know, the state government and the federal government were trying to allocate resources to build additional field hospitals. The Javits Center, I think, was... Um, which didn't end up really being utilized at all. Um, yep. And then there was a, a Navy hospital ship that also didn't end up really being used at all. Um, which, uh, you know, I mean, I appreciate the effort, but. Yeah, and then there was the issue with the, ven the, ventila <laughs> the ventilators. They were like 3D printing, like dual using. Yeah, they were um, like the ventilators, yeah. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about this in the article from from what I read and from Scott Gottlieb's book, like, the CDC has somehow has like intellectual property protections on its inventions and it was like not letting. Um, yeah. I wonder what, what is the, is there a reasoning for that? I mean, there was something where like some guy had his invention like taken and then he sued and only got like $20,000, but I'm, um, you know, you're a public servant at that point. And like, my opinion of it is that like we own your inventions, like as a taxpayer. So, yeah i don't care what like if you want to have intellectual property like go work for a private company <laughs> like so yeah they, they have some stuff around that but um interesting i i've never i never heard about that i'm very i'm quite shocked and i and i would be interested to hear kind of what the reasoning is for yeah um, they, they have to have a certain uh labs has to have a have to have a certain blueprint to follow um and there's like ip protections they weren't letting um uh, lab, private labs get access to it. They weren't using com commercial labs. It, mm. The CDC just tried to take on something that it was not equipped to do. Um, and, and and this is why, like, I recommend, like, anyone right or left read this book. I think it's really enlightening and shows that, you know, if we're going to keep the, the, our institutions as they are, they need drastic reformation um, in, in terms of preventing something from happening in the future. Um, yeah. Because it, it just totally failed on almost all levels. Like, their initial tests were, like, they weren't even being done because they were uh there was like some sort of reagent that kept screwing up or contaminated the tests um yeah that's, exactly. a, whole, that's, yeah. that's a whole yeah that's a whole other thing um but i feel like i feel like people were quick to pounce and blame like the politicians but this is just a system that, that's been in place and we were not prepared for it at all from going back and back um yeah. but uh anyway Back to when, when people were initially um, being brought in with some of these respiratory issues, um, what were some of the, like, have, have the treatment protocols changed at all now that we've learned more about this virus to help people? Pretty significantly, survive? yeah, pretty significantly. I mean, there's been some good research that's come out on a couple different, uh, I guess, 
you know, therapeutics that we can use now. Um, so kind of the methodology early on was, uh, you know, if someone is on more than a certain amount of oxygen, basically requiring a high concentration of oxygen, that they were immediately put on a ventilator um, and to try to preserve kind of, you know, lung function. Um, and then uh, that was basically it. There was really no, I mean, we were trying lots of different types of medications uh, that we thought might have, you know, a, an, an impact, um, like hydroxychloroquine and uh, famotidine, which is like, pep, which is Pepsid. Um, these medications that we just uh, thought, you know, there could be, because there was some anecdotal kind of, you know, research and some, you know, reasons to think that they might have worked. Um, unfortunately, you know, those didn't really pan out. Um, People and, might be more familiar with the uh, hydroxychloroquine from... <laughs> hydroxychloroquine, yeah, yeah. And that's that's a hot, you know, topic of conversation and still is today. But, you know, it was, it just, it didn't work. And, and you know, the research showed that it actually endangered people. Um, the high quality research showed that. So then we kind of transitioned. There was a big study that came out of, I think, out of the UK, um, which, uh, where steroids were used. Uh, mm. Uh, dexamethasone or decadron, just like it's very standard, very cheap, no money to be made off this steroid. Um, and that was the first kind of big breakthrough in treatment of COVID. Um, and it showed significant improvements in uh, survival um, uh, survival rates of, of critically ill COVID patients. Um, and so that was a that was a that was a big breakthrough, and that that helped quite a bit, I think. Um, and then there were further studies on on uh, other medications, like uh, a medication called tocilizumab, which is a um, a medication that's used traditionally for rheumatoid arthritis, um, and it kind of uh, it. Uh, works on a specific part of the inflammatory process um, and blocks, you know, particular, uh, you know, inflammatory, you know, molecule or, or whatnot. Um, and that sometimes seems to help. And then also we kind of changed more practical things. So we started proning people um, or taking people from being on their backs and putting them on their stomachs. Um, if they were not intubated, Basically, uh, if they were breathing on their own, we would, you know, help them, assist them to do that themselves. Um, and what we found is that it would decrease people, people's respiratory rates would come down to a normal level and they would require less oxygen, um, which was huge. And we were finding that we were able to sometimes hold off um, mechanical ventilation um, or intubation uh, doing that. And then we also started taking our ICU patients, the ones that were mechanically ventilated that had been intubated, and we were putting them on their stomachs. Um, and that seemed to significantly improve, uh, you know, blood oxygen levels. So that was kind of, you know, from the more, you know, not medication side, this is more of kind of a physical therapeutic, um, you know, uh, thing that we did that was significant. Um, and then we started, you know, choosing to intubate people or put people on ventilators. Um, you know, there was, we started waiting longer to do that. Um, and then we kind of found the sweet spot of when, you know, someone needs to be intubated, basically. 
because it's like we've given you enough time now to try to resolve this without the need of a ventilator, but now you're starting to breathe really hard and really quickly, and that just adds to the inflammation because your lungs are constantly, you know, expanding and taking in larger volumes than they're supposed to, and you're doing it very quickly, and that just causes more inflammation, and then it's really tough to kind of reverse the process. So that's, it's at that point that we say, you know, this is, this is the time, you know, that we need to put people on ventilators. So, um, so yeah, that was a lot of information. No, I appreciate it. Um, and yeah. so I, I, I feel like going going on, um, like the ventilator is kind of, like, <clears throat> what was the reduction in, in terms of like how many people were not, like, did you see a significant um, decrease in people were dying just from that delay of the ventilator? Because to me, I think a ventilator, I think like, you're probably not getting off of it. That's unfortunately the case. Um, you know, it's, it's a complicated situation because at the beginning we were putting everybody on ventilators. Mm -hmm. So people who might not have otherwise gotten so sick were all being put on ventilators. And so we were having a decent amount of people come off. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got to the point where we were running out of ventilators. And so we were only putting the sickest people on ventilators and then everybody was dying. Um, but that also makes sense because they were the sickest people. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So there's kind of, you have to sift through all of that to find like true kind of uh, causative relationships. But um, I think, you know, uh, as we started, you know, with the steroids, when the steroids came out um, as being effective, and then when we kind of found that sweet spot, of went to intubate people that really kind of changed the game, I think. So now it depends on what hospital you're at. Um, it is, you know, I will say it is better to, if you have COVID, severe COVID, it, it is better to be at a large academic medical center than it is to be at a small community hospital. Mm -hmm. um, that's just, you know, the way that it is. Um, but I think every hospital is different um, and treat different populations that may or may not be more susceptible to getting severe COVID and dying right. with severe COVID. Um, it's not necessarily reflective on the capabilities of the facility. It's also the population they treat. Right. Um, but I would say, I think it's like 50, 50 now, maybe, you know, 60, 40, 60, you know, percent survive, 40% don't survive. The problem is that those 60%, you know, a lot of them have long, 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 long recoveries. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they end up in nursing homes for, for months, you know? Yes. Um, so we, we, uh, we don't want to be there. Um, I think there are like all, seeing all these things has, has all these psychological impacts on people. Um, okay. you know, we, you know, walking around New York city, you know, if you took your mask down for a second, someone from across the street was calling you a murderer. Um, I think, I think people, and that was still, you know, early on, or I think people, yeah. and people are still really mistrustful of each other. Um, and I think that's, probably natural based on something where like we don't know who has what um but you know it's it's been two it's been like two years where do you think like do you think we'll ever get back to uh, that level of trust where it's like oh i'll just share this elevator with someone um like are, I, I feel like we're not there <laughs> um and it's i think it's frustrating for people like and it keeps the the angst and the anxiety up yeah i mean i I don't know what your experience has been like down in uh, down in Virginia, but I I would say up here. I mean, either I don't 
care and I don't really pay too much attention to it. Um, but I don't really get, you know, feelings that people are, are people are starting to let their guard down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which I, which I think is okay. I mean, it, it depends, like, you know, as long as you're following, you know, the, the guidelines that I think are, you know, that are put out by professionals, um, then, you know, I think it's all right. I, I, I haven't gotten into an elevator and gotten like the side eye in a long time. <laughs> so I feel like things are improving here. And I felt the same way. I was just out, um, you know, working in Napa Valley on a contract. Um, and out there, everyone was very, it was the same thing. So I think their people are transitioning. I think the, the people who are truly still so, you know, very concerned about that kind of thing generally don't go out much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like the the opportunities to have those kinds of negative interactions is is dropping. What what has been your what's your experience been like? I'm curious. Um, I mean, sometimes you just get like the look, or, or or you know when you walk in, or people still will avoid getting into the elevator with you. Um, right. I, I think that's been more so the case. Uh, I was actually yelled at for wearing a mask once. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but or twice by the same person, um, really? but uh, yeah, it has it, it's it's been a lot of subtle stuff. Um, I just I think it goes back to it leads to my next question in in terms of like the psychological impacts. I think we're at a weird place in time where people are such on opposite sides that you know you're seeing maybe it's just on Twitter or whatever, but people are really cheering like the illness and deaths of, of people um, that maybe choose not to be vaccinated, um, however wrong of a decision that may be um, for themselves. Um, but I, I, it really concerns me that as a society that, that we're at this point um, where, where, we're, where we're seizing on, on empathy um, for people. Uh, so I was, I was wondering if you had any, any thoughts or, around that. I, I mean, it's, that's, it's so sad, honestly. I totally agree with you. I, it's, it reminds me, you know, the other day I was, I was reading about a, there's a conservative talk show host uh, from Nashville or out of the Nashville area. Uh, his name was Phil Valentine. I think uh, I've heard of him. I don't know, dude, yeah. He, you know, was very kind of outspoken. I, I guess he was never, you know, never anti-vax, but he did post a lot on his Twitter about how, um, you know, suspicious of the vaccination kind of process and, and all this, um, although never overtly, I guess, anti-vax. Um, but, you know, he got COVID and, uh, you know, had been, there'd been clips captured of him saying, you know, if I get COVID, there's less than a 1% chance that I'll die, you know. And so he got COVID and then, you know, um, ended up getting critically ill. Um, and was hospitalized, and um, you know he ended up actually coming out and saying, "Please get vaccinated. This has been such a horrible experience." Like you know, um, which I thought was you know really mature of of him, um, considering what he was going through. But anyway, he he ended up passing away, um, and I remember reading on Facebook. I mean, classic keyboard warriors, like you know you know, you got what you deserved and, you know, just vindictive, horrible things that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite sad. It's, it's 
quite tragic, actually. Because yeah. the human side, all of this that people ignore. Um, yep, I, I feel like we've gone from, uh, I feel like these are often the same people that say like, oh, don't victim blame. Um, and yeah. and, and I, I, you know, I, I chose to be vaccinated. I think the facts are on that side. But I, you know, I've looked into what some of these people are saying, aside from, you know, sticking keys to their necks and being worried about um, being magnetic. I, I think I think what I talked about in that article about the CDC, I think there were mixed messages that I'm not surprised that people have some skepticism and are a little bit afraid. Um, like it doesn't shock me. So I think I think empathy goes a really long, long way. Um, I think it does. Uh, and it's just been it's just been really sad. I, I think we're just in so many different corners. I mean, like, right, like sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? Um, and I feel like people, people who are doing this are just being like, you know, dark webbed. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, you want to expose their ideas because actually the more that I saw their ideas and looked into it, um, I was able to be like, all right, this is this is total trash. But the more you take away, it kind of gives a little bit of credence to that. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know what the what the actual you know what it comes down to in terms of measurement. But as yeah. as as someone who tends to be naturally skeptical of things, <laughs> I you know that's that's how I could see someone being like I'm empathetic to their skepticism. Um, yeah. About it, um, and just the w the way that we've come down on people, um, people are saying, you know, we don't we don't want the vaccinated to be comfortable or the unvaccinated to be comfortable, and all these different things. Um, I yeah. think I think I think it's heartless, and uh, we've we've reduced people to their to their sink to a singular position. I'm sure, like you know, Phil Valentine. Well, I don't know about Phil Valentine will do it, but there are people who will reduce to a single position that'll give you the shoes off their feet. Um, you know, in time yeah. in a time of need. Um, yeah. You know, so I think uh, I think I think we've got it. We got to get somewhere as a society where that doesn't happen. And I'm not sure what the way out is. Maybe we need like a national therapist. <laughs> but I'm I'm just not sure how we get out of that. And and there's no way that I don't know. There's just it, no way. It, it makes you wonder where kind of the break in communication is. You know, um, I think the. Uh, I think for, you know, for all the time that, that, you know, again, it's not supposed to be political, but it's political, you know, I think for all the time that the left spends, you know, criticizing and um, just being mean, you know, um, <laughs> to uh, people who, you know, may choose not to be vaccinated, um, it's, you know, if, if the goal if the goal is to make society safer and to end this pandemic, which you know, the vaccines are the solution to are, are the biggest weapon that we have against that at least. Um, you know, people can't feel as though you're talking down to them because you know, I mean, almost immediately people don't want to hear that anymore. Um, and uh, you know, I agree. I mean, some of these. You know, I, you know, more, you know, people who were skeptical or who are skeptical of vaccinations are, you know, are, are amazing, amazing people, kind people. Um, and many of them are my friends. Um, and so, 
uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of maybe leads us into this um, notion of, um, you know, I lost my train of thought. Um, I think like maybe the vaccine mandate. Uh, yeah. Time. Yeah. And, and kind of, you know, well, I guess what are your, th I mean, did the book that you were reading at all, did that cover or mention any, you know, mention anything in regards to the mandates or make any kind of commentary on that? Um, not quite. Um, it was more so on like the failures of the CDC. Um, I think that, um, and I think we talked about this earlier. I think what, when I look at this sort of thing, uh, we, we have, they actually changed the definition of anti-vaxxer recently. I don't know if you, you, you know that. Um, there's a couple of dictionaries that change it to just someone who opposes not only vaccines, but also any vaccine mandates, which is just not- I didn't realize this was like a dictionary term. I thought this, it was kind of- Yeah, th this, is, this is something that's like, you know, they, they've, they've changed the definition in some circles of what an anti-vaxxer is. I don't, like when someone tells, them, tells me that they don't, they oppose a vaccine mandate, my, my initial thought is that they're not an anti-vaxxer. Like, I, am, I oppose any national mandates on vaccinations. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I, I think anyone, uh, especially like at-risk people should be getting vaccinated. Um, uh, but after they've done their, their own research, um, and I did my own research before I did, you know, I did my own and that's, that's the conclusion. I think it's really easy to get lost in the depths of shit, but, um, yeah, but, but, but what, what my, what my thought about it is, um, is I always look, look at, this is a policy that maybe we approve of now that we, we don't want people to die. Uh, we have this virus circulating. We need shots in everyone's arm everyone should get it um the the flip side of that is 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 the concern that what medical emergencies in the future like like i feel like if trump were mandating this vaccine mm -hmm. irrespective of like you know we, we we approve and and disapprove of of what's being done based on who like our our team doing it right mm -hmm. um and I, and i think what what we've now done is we've put um the uh, power in the hands of Biden, who, who some some do trust, um, but we've also put that in the hands of people we may not. Mm. Um, and I think that's a dangerous precedent to set. Um, if if the next you know global global uh, climate change is is a, is a huge concern uh, now going across, we have like the Green New Deal and other ideas like that. I think the precedent, and this may be like a more extreme case, but just to to illustrate the point, if we say global population growth will lead to like absolute catastrophe and destruction. And we now mandate sterility or sterilization of, of parts of the population to reduce that. Um, and, it, and it becomes like, oh, maybe like, I'm not, a, I'm not for that, but I supported a mandate before. We've given them, we've given the government the ability to now dictate mandates under what is deemed a public health crisis. I think there's, you know, some people say the slippery slope argument um, is not a valid one, um, but I'm I'm just looking at it from just terms of of principle versus what's whether a vaccine is good or bad for what it could mean in the future. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I see how people can be uncomfortable by a mandate, and I still am not sure where I fall, like personally, in terms of my opinion of whether or not it should be required versus not. 
required. Um, I wouldn't give my reasoning to be kind of setting a precedent because I think that, um, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe it was the situation that you just offered. It seems a little kind of extreme. And I think that that's completely, that's, that would be completely unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that the outcome of this would change whether or not something like that would happen or not. I do kind of feel like the personal freedom argument, you know, it, I mean, it, it is an invasive, you know, it is an invasive, you know, situation, you know, you are having something injected into your body. Um, you know, that being said, I, I let me just preface by saying I, I'm very pro this vaccine. I, I think that this vaccine has very, there is very good evidence that it is safe and effective. And I think people need to know that um, and need to be very careful about where they get their information. Um, and I've seen it firsthand how it has changed the game, like how it has changed this whole um, COVID, you know, pandemic. Um, Please elaborate that, on that, by the way. Sorry? <laughs> because I, I, I think that's a really valuable thing to hear because I, I, yeah. I, I do like finish your thought, but I also think people would really benefit from, from hearing you say how, how it's changed the how game. Changed, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the hospitals are still filled or they, they were at least in California. Um, but, uh, you know, all the patients that I took care of were unvaccinated. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's critical. And, and, you know, most of the patients were younger, which also indicates, you know, the hospitals weren't filled with older people because all the old people were vaccinated and were protected against severe outcomes. Um, so I think it's important for, you know, people to recognize that. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions and that there are breakthroughs and, you know, there are vaccinated individuals who end up hospitalized, but it's usually a very small subset of people who are immunocompromised. I don't mean like people who have autoimmune disorders. I mean like people who have like organ transplants mm -hmm. and are on chronic immunosuppressants and will be for the rest of their life. So they can't mount an immune response to the vaccine um, or to COVID. And mm -hmm. I'm talking about people who, um, you know, are on lifelong steroids, um, you know, because usually for some autoimmune, like severe autoimmune disease, um, but still is, is rare for someone to be on long-term steroids like that. Um, those are the people who are getting critically ill in hospitals uh, who are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. uh, and in those people, it's not a failure. It's not that the you know, it's not that the vaccine is a flawed product. It's more so that because of how, you know, because of their physiology, the vaccine did not mount an immune response in their body. So their body didn't build up that kind of immune, that strong, uh, you know, level of, you know, circulating antibodies to protect against right. that. That being said, kind of, you know, I, it, it is an invasive thing you are telling someone that they can't really be a part of society without getting, you know, getting a vaccine. You basically have no choice. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think my, as much as I, you know, as much as I, I understand, maybe understand the side of, you know, 
these mandates not being required, you know, for, or, or I'm sorry, the side of, you know, having these mandates. Um, at the end of the day, you know, there, there are, the, you know, the, the end is in sight. And as it stands, unvaccinated individuals pose a threat, not to themselves, but to the people around them. And I think, you know, they have, you know, people who are unvaccinated have the right and should have the freedom to make the decision whether or not they want to be vaccinated, but they should not be able to infringe on the freedom of others, you know, from being safe and feeling safe, particularly the most vulnerable in our society. So as a res you know, as a result, it's not like we're going door to door forcing vaccinations on people, but there are limitations on vaccinated individuals being able to be a part of, you know, be a part of society, at least until this pandemic is over. Um, that sounds, it doesn't sound the best, you know, saying it like that. Right. Um, it really sounds slightly, maybe a little tyrannical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, it it does, but I, I don't think that this is being done. You know, to build a precedent to try to change our society and make it less free. This is just kind of this is the world that we live in, and I think it's temporary. And um, it's neither option is really the best. You know, forcing yeah. someone versus allowing this pandemic to continue and overwhelm hospital systems and not, which makes it so that people who have cancer can't get treatment, people who, you know. Or delay treatment. Or delay, or delay treatment. discovery, yeah. Or someone has a, has a bad heart attack and they need an ICU bed with very specialized care, but they can't because there's no one to take care of them and so they die. That's not fair, you know, and one is preventable and the other one is less preventable. Um, and so that's kind of, does that make, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I. Yeah, I, I, I have a, I have multiple. Well, so the thing that I see um, consistently is that like people who are, are vaccinated are more afraid than the unvaccinated, which kind of makes sense, right? Like, I'm fuck it, I'm not getting this vaccine, but. I, you like, take it more seriously so you get vaccinated. Right, exactly. Got a bias, um, yeah. But it's it seems, and and this doesn't, as as someone who like received the vaccine, like I don't understand the worry from vaccinated people, um, being afraid that the vaccine doesn't do what it was intended to do, which was prevent. And I know the game is a little bit changed with Delta, uh, but you know, once it once like we're learning that though it's done less, that vaccinated people, if they have symptoms, can still potentially spread it so like it doesn't quite make sense to me um and i think a lot of i think the people who tend to be more skeptical go even further but that we are gearing our society to protect the protected from the unprotected um if that if that makes sense yeah but again kind of this goes back to this certain subset of the population that i'd mentioned before people who no matter how many times you vaccinate them, they're not gonna build up a meaningful protection. Right. Like our organ transplant recipients, of which there are 
many in the country and people right. who are immunocompromised and also very elderly, um, fragile people. Yes. So this is like, this is not the messaging <laughs> that we're getting. Like, I feel like the government's <laughs> PR people just need to get fired. Like we're, we're running these like corny CDC commercials where they're and, like, Hey, I'm New York's doctor. Seconds. Yeah. I'm, I'm New York's doctor. Like, what they're saying is this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, like painting, whatever. Why aren't we like, let's just be honest. Like, yes, if you're vaccinated, you are most likely safe, live life. The reason that these restrictions exist is to protect those people who the vaccine did not take organ transplants. Like I, I just feel like the messaging is not clear. And when you have unclear messaging, you leave room for, for, what what's happening right now right like you leave you leave room for that um and i feel like that's just been a massive failure it has been it, the the communication i think has been a huge failure and i i mean i i will give credit where credit is due you know or or i don't know if this is credit but you know it's a tremendous undertaking um but i do agree that it could have been a lot better and maybe part of that was like lost in the transition between administrations um and then you also have kind of federal guidelines and local guidelines and then you know it's just been a disaster it's been it's been tough i i do wish that sometimes people would take more time to seek out information from you know reputable sources and and uh and, and i think from uh institutions that yeah. have hundreds of yeah. years of, of, you know, that haven't always been perfect, but our scientists are people who've dedicated their lives to learning about these types of things and to, you know, who are good people, you know, we're making these recommendations. I just wish people would see that also, that side of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I know, I know these people, like I've experienced, like people will not trust what you say as a reputable source because because we have such distrust in our society, people don't, you know, the CDC uh, may not be viewed as a reputable source by some people, um, especially in light of like, and I don't want to go too far down this road with like, with natural, immunity, with natural immunity, Cleveland Clinic, some studies saying it's durable and effective for longer than the vaccine is. Um, and this yeah. also, this also kind of leads me into the next question, which is around the vaccine mandate. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Biden's press conference about the mandate working, um, where he was talking about the United Workers. Did you catch that? I didn't catch it. I, I didn't. Yeah. So uh, he was saying is like before the mandate, they were at 56% compliance. And after my mandate, they were at 99, like thinking that, oh, wow, 44% or whatever got vaccinated. And it's like, do you, did you, they forget all quit. To, did you, yeah, they got fired. Did you forget how to math? Like, like who's, who's writing his speeches? Like, or, or is our population something that just sees that and just doesn't think twice? Yeah. Like, um, I saw, um, I saw a video on Twitter and, and I'm just talking to why people are skeptical when I bring up these points, because I, I tend to like be empathetic, um, or try to be to both sides of these things. Um, because I think everyone starts from just different moralities. And, and somewhere meets the, some, some, they develop their opinions around their feelings and moralities, right? Um, and I, and I think that's, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 you know, I've heard a lot about, you know, people losing their jobs, um, 
I've, I've also heard about a lot of people who have chosen to get vaccinated instead of losing their jobs, yeah. which is like unfortunate that it came to that point. Um, and you know, this whole thing in Seattle that you mentioned with like 40% of the police force or something like that. That's yes, not- 40% of the Seattle's police force is I mean, that's that's a problem. Or being fired. Yeah, I mean, we're like, we we had Chaz out there, or was it a chop? I can't even keep track of these, like, Antifa zones, but (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, we have have safety issues in these places. I mean, can you imagine if New York City's, like, 40% of New York City's police force? Um, I mean. Yeah, and I heard heard in New York City, the the mandate, or the the mandate is going to be pushed back for police officers, or it's, it's not, it's basically, it's not they're not as urgently, you know, trying to convince police officers to get vaccinated in New York City. Yeah, I mean, um, they, they, they um, I mean, like, you know, a large population of, of, it tends to be, right, like, statistically, some of the minorities that, that choose not to be vaccinated um, from some very, I think, justified uh, historical reasons. Um, if you look back at, like, the Tuskegee experiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. a large, we, we, in spite of what people say, we have, like, an extremely diverse police force in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's actually majority non-white um, in the police force. If, if my like last look at it is current, I wouldn't um, be. So, so, so that makes sense to me that they would have trouble getting some vaccine uptake among that population. Yeah. Um, I think the the crazy thing is that you know I remember uh, people uh, cheering outside with their with their uh, pans at, you know, I think 7 p.m. every day for three months. And uh, I think a lot of these same workers are being fired across the country um, or, or choosing to quit. And uh, I don't know if, you know, if you want to comment on this, but I feel like a lot, like it's, it's mostly nurses. And I'm, I'm just, you know, as a nurse, I'm just curious if you have an opinion on why you think that is. Um, it's not, like, we're not seeing that many doctors. I mean, there are, uh, I, I've saw an article that, like, chiropractors are the new purveyors of not getting the vaccine um i don't know if you saw yeah. something about that but like yeah i've seen it yeah why do you why do you think that is um man i don't know i there is a there's a big kind of movement um like in the medical field of kind of this alternative medicine or you know functional medicine kind of which I think has its merits in, in a lot of ways. I mean, it focuses a lot on lifestyle changes and, you know, eating good quality food and, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. But then there are parts of this that are not really reasonable or based in science, like this whole, you know, anti-vax, or actually with their definition that you were talking about before, <laughs> anti-covid um, vaccine anti anti-covid vaccine mandate but also anti-vaccine yeah um sometimes there's a little mix and match there <laughs> yeah um and so you know i i i think people fall into these you know into these communities of you know like-minded individuals and a lot of them happen to be nurses right um i also think it does come down to education. That's a big part of it. You know, a lot of nurses don't know how to look at research and and understand what research is and understand that research exists like to, to help us build connections and to be sure that those connections are real because you'll have a lot of people say, oh, you know, my aunt 
my second cousin's best friend's sister or something like that, you know, got vaccinated for COVID and she, you know, lost her legs the next day or something like that. Or like she ended up in the hospital for three weeks because she had a, you know, some something. That's anecdotal evidence. Now, someone with us, you know, who's trained in the scientific process doesn't really take much from that because there's, that's a game of telephone mm -hmm. that there's so much information that could be changed and, and misconstrued along the way. Nicki Minaj's cousin's uh, balls. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, or like, you know, this person, it turns out that they'd also actually been hit by a car and run over and that's why they lost their legs. Mm -hmm. They'd gotten vaccinated. I mean, it's like, you know, so I, I think, you know, a lot of these people who are championing this, a lot of nurses, um, just don't, uh, it's, it's not a, it's by no means a lack of intelligence or anything like that. It is just simply a, a, a reflection of like training and a lack of ability to look at data objectively and to look, you know, to, un to read a research study and to be able to understand what it means. Um, and to be skeptical appropriately and vice versa. Yeah. That's my I, best shot at it. And I, I don't mean any ill, you know, any ill feelings by that, but I hear a lot of wrong information from other nurses that I speak to. And, um, you know, it's just a function of, of being poorly informed. Of, Not as trained in like the scientific method yeah or, or that is that just doesn't have that right that kind of training that allows them to be able to like sift through the nonsense more effectively i guess i don't think i got past putting dye on celery but um um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the other thing i was gonna like touch on a little bit um if, uh, a couple like more things um is that I, going back to kind of this this uh, a little bit of skepticism on social media um and yeah. I want to touch on this briefly before we maybe we'll talk about, I think we'll end with talking about COVID vaccinations and kids um, and sure. kind of where you see this going. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as, you know, conservatives on social media, we're really seizing on this. Um, and I think, you know, justifiably so um, with, with all like the, the censorship, whether we agree or not on it um, as a society. Uh, with, with Joe Biden in, in a conference saying like, we are requiring nurses to be mandated uh, because we know that these vaccines prevent them from getting and transmitting it to you when when you're sick, right? Or when you're being treated. I'm sorry, could you, I apologize, David, could you start that again? Do you mind saying that? Oh, more? yeah, 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 sure. Um, we, we had we had uh, uh, Joe Biden, like, you know, say in a, in a press conference uh, about the mandate for, for healthcare workers that, you know, they, they know that this vaccine prevents transmission uh, to the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to get COVID while you're being treated. But right. we know that that's not a true statement. Like that is not a true statement that because you're vaccinated, you cannot get or transmit COVID, right? I think that's that some of the research around Delta has bared that out. And so like conservatives see that, right? They're like, why isn't Twitter putting their CDC label here? Like CDC information, there's no fact check. And I think, uh, you know, it goes to the nature of like the left-leaning, um, objectively left-leaning, um, of, of, of some of these organizations. And I think, again, that's something that fuels people to not trust anything, regardless of whether vaccine's good. I think that adds to it. And so 
when you have people fired up about these things, I'm going to naturally transition as you watch. You have yeah, people quickly. If you can give yeah. me an option. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I the that that's just another kind of what you're saying is not false, um, but there is you know inadequate kind of like um what's the word uh it's it's there's a bigger story to this than i think people recognize so like you know there there were some studies that pretty high profile studies that were very kind of you know um that were very kind of capitalized on uh by you know in the conservative media and by the you know conservatives um oh absolutely yeah yeah and uh that mentioned that you know there were studies that showed that people who had um, who had breakthrough infections, vaccinated individuals who had breakthrough infections, shed similar viral loads and- Yeah, that wasn't contagious. true. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that might've been true, but I think- I don't, that, I don't think it was. I think it was at a lesser rate. It was more viral okay. loads. Like the headlines was, of these are like always misleading, like conservative, yeah, whatever exactly. you like it's, actually look at it. It's like, oh, twice as much as those recently va like vaccinated six months ago like all these articles yeah. come out you have to actually like click on it which is not something people do which is right, read. <laughs> right. exactly exactly which i mean you you can't blame you can't blame people for doing no that. it's it's hard it's yeah kind of how it's set up you know but the it turns out that you know this is the case in vaccinated people who have breakthrough infections yes which is very rare to have a breakthrough infection and I think that's what's lost in the translation here. Very rare, maybe not very rare, but it's like, I don't know what the statistics, what the statistics are, but it's significantly decreased chances of having a breakthrough infection. Once you have that breakthrough infection, you're contagious, even if you're vaccinated and you can yeah. pass it on to unvaccinated people. But people, I think, read this headline and took this to mean that you, that you are just as much of a spreader Oh, a for sure. A person is just as much of a spreader as an unvaccinated person. For which sure. Is not true because sure. if you're vaccinated, you are, you know, and you do have a breakthrough infection, which is rare. Um, you know, meaning like, I, I'm hesitant to do this because I, I don't actually know, I'll, you know, I'll be honest and what I do know, what I don't know. I don't actually know what the data is on this. But like, if you put one, a person in a room who's got COVID, um, you know, and the room has 10 people who are vaccinated and 10 people who are unvaccinated in it, maybe one of those vaccinated individuals would get COVID out of the 10 unvaccinated people that would get COVID. Now yes. that one person who's vaccinated who would get COVID might be contagious for three days, while the 10 people who are unvaccinated with COVID will be contagious for seven or eight days. Yeah, I think the science, I think the science that I've seen is like absolutely clear on that. I think what, what I'm getting is that, at is that, that. Okay, so sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to hear what you were. I think what I'm getting at is that he was saying that it's, you know, once you're vaccinated, you can't get or transmit COVID by like, which, which is objectively not true. Um, it's not true. It's, it's rarer. It's, it's, it's yes. more I, difficult I, to. I, yeah, but. I mean, my, 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 the issue that I took, and I assume that conservatives took that that use it to fuel some of these skepticism is that you can just be honest. Like <laughs> You can just say it severely reduces the risk. And even if you get it, your symptoms are less, you're transmitting less viral load. The problem is, is the lack of clarity or truthfulness, or maybe just they don't know, but like sure. come clean about what you don't know. And my second point about that is sure. his, his statement that he's saying is not true, but there's no fact check on it on Twitter. There's no like, 
CDC label. So what like conservatives can post things um, and weaponize whether true or not, that little tag, that's like a badge of honor when you have like CDC, you know, we've all seen it. Like, and now Twitter started labeling things like this conversation might be intense. Like it's, it's just <laughs> like, what, like, where have we gone? Like, you can't, you can't just start trigger warning. And there's some evidence that came out that trigger warnings don't even work. They make things worse. But like, yeah, if you look at curious, where are we living? Like, and, and so I think, I think, you know, if, if know. I'm, if I'm, if I'm like anti-vaccine and I see Biden saying that, I'm like, he's fucking lying. Sorry. I, I, I have to be honest with you. Podcast. I don't think Biden really knows the, <laughs> the information. I mean, it's extremely possible. Part of the problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's very nuanced. Possible. It's very nuanced and it's, and it's tough. You know, it takes a lot of understanding of, you know, I don't know, medicine and biology and, and things to be able, I think, to effectively communicate things like that. So, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, he can't be up there saying, you know, things that even have an ounce of, you know, untruthfulness to them because yeah, and, and away credibility. Yeah. And conservatives are going, retweeting it and being like, how is this not misinformation? <laughs> like you, you've literally just like given like a, a lighter to gunpowder, like, because I mean, they have a point. It's not being corrected. No one's saying anything just like under the rug. <laughs> like, um, but you know, I, I, I think, I think these are some issues that sometimes people don't tend to look at or understand. And they're very like, these people have no reason to not get this. Um, and, and it goes back to our conversation just about having more empathy about where people are yeah. coming from. Yeah. Um, all right. Last, last couple things here. We'll wrap up. I know we've been going a little bit, but I think it's like, rather than like, it's kind of like Joe Rogany. Like, like we're just going. Uh, I don't think we'll get to three hours, but yeah. um, I, don't, so, I don't think this. I don't think we'll ever get to Joe Rogan level, or I, I don't. I mean, you, you may. I, I think you. We you we, gotta, we, have, we have hair. All right, <laughs> <laughs> we have hair. Um, he can Joe Rogan hair when he started, though. Is my question. He did. I don't know about the podcast, but I do know that he could probably kick our legs off, and uh, and they would we could attribute it to the vaccine. Um, <laughs> So one, one of the other things that, you know, we're leading into is, is, is the push to vaccinate kids. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of opinions on this that I've read. Um, I, I think my main one is that uh, it goes, it's similar, like we, we should not have a blanket approach to this. Um, yeah. This thing, I think Norway and some Scandinavian countries completely halted Moderna um, as, it, as it's slightly higher uh, myocarditis. Um, and Pfizer uh, is, uh, is still being given, I believe. Um, and I've seen a lot of studies that try to really lower, like make the risk look lower than it is by grouping in boys with girls and saying the risk is not there. Um, but from what I've seen, and this could be completely like contradicted at some other point, what, from some of the data I've seen and some of the claims I've seen is that the risk of myocarditis, which um, correct me if I'm wrong, is usually post second shot, right? It's usually post second shot, yeah. As, as a side effect to the as a side effect to the mRNA vaccines, it's usually right. post second shot, yeah. Right. So, um, I like compare. I've I've heard that that rate when you take out the girls and you just account for boys is higher than the risk of like a child actually going to the hospital with COVID. Um, 
and and I'm sure that you know I've I've not looked into the methodology of the study. This is something I've seen. This is something I've seen circulating. Um, I've seen some epidemiologists and like yeah. masters of public health, like that means nothing to me. Um, but um, say this, yeah. and and what I've seen that makes sense um, from uh, some doctors, some Hopkins doctor, uh, Mar Marty McCary. I, I really like enjoy <laughs> him, um, mm -hmm. and he's got a great book, Price the Price We Pay. Um, that I'll plug here for uh, anyone who listens um, about our healthcare system. Um, but he's been advocating like, the, yeah, he's, <laughs> I don't get paid. I don't get paid anything. Um, but uh, yeah, he's been, he's been advocating for one shot for kids um, uh, this whole time. <laughs> like months ago, I'm listening to this guy say one shot. Um, and other countries are doing this. They're doing one shot. I've heard about this one shot thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here we're just like, um you know two shots two shots and uh and we're supposed to be like the leading science but i feel like most of our research comes from other places um so uh yeah i'm, I'm just wondering like i think the, i think once you start mandating vaccines i know like la did it um for kids i think once you start doing that like that's that's just the line that parents no matter how pro-vaccine they might be i think some of them cross over to that other side um, because, you know, naturally people are very protective of their children. Um, so I was wondering if, you're, if you've seen anything in terms of infections among um, children. Are we losing focus by moving from adults to children? Like, should our efforts, are our efforts being, like, pushed in the right way? Like, should we just be focused yeah. on vaccinating adults versus children who are more likely to die from the flu? than what we've seen from COVID so far. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly less familiar with the whole situation with kids. Um, I don't, you know, my experience has been with adults. Um, I'm, you know, I work in, a, I, my experience is adults intensive care. Um, and I think as a result, most of the data that I read is on adults. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not super familiar with the, with the kid thing. Um, I have read about incidents of myocarditis, and I actually have a friend who had um, myocarditis. Well, a friend, it was a friend of a friend um, who had, <laughs> kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. No, seriously. Um, so, I mean, who knows if that was vaccine related, right. but I think considering what we've seen, um, this isn't an obscure connection. I mean, you know, mRNA vaccines do cause myocarditis. Um, it is, from what I've read, extremely rare. Um, and I, I don't know what the data is kind of on what you were saying before with them being more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis versus... Um, versus like infection from COVID, yeah. I have to say, I do find that hard to believe. Um, and, and that I have alarm bells going off in my head when I hear that, because I, it just, it's, it sounds, it sounds potentially, you know, incorrect or there's more to the story. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there I, is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, and I mean, I'm open to the fact that maybe there isn't, but I, I would just like to, I think I would like to see more information on that. Um, mm -hmm. but I have heard about this one shot thing and, um, I mean, you know, it's not FDA approved yet for, for children. I think people need to remember that. I mean, this yes. is kind of more like the process is working itself out. You know, the FDA, you know, is, 
due process is being taken to make sure that this is safe. Is it even Pfizer not approved for children? Um, Pfizer is not. Pfizer is approved for, I think, ages 11 to 17 or something like that, or 12. Okay. So, so I, I wasn't paying too close attention to the Gavin Newsom mandate. I forget what ages that it covered. Um, you know what? I'm actually not even sure. Okay. I'm not yeah. even sure. I, I don't even, don't, yeah, don't quote me on any of this, um, anybody. <laughs> the two people who may be listening this far into this podcast. <laughs> um, but in case, you know, I, I'm not sure about that. Um, I think... You know, we do require a lot of vaccinations for kids to go to school. I mean, you know, that's the reason why people don't die of childhood diseases like measles, right. you know, or like polio anymore and stuff like that. It's because of these vaccinations that we require a lot of children to start, you know, to take before they start, uh, pre, you know, preschool or public school. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I think if it becomes FDA approved as every other vaccine has gone through that process, then, you know, it would strike me as being, um, a, you know, it would strike me as being okay. I mean, I would vaccinate my kids if it was FDA approved. Um, so that's, I don't know. That's yeah, it, it comes back to like the choice thing that people say, like people will have their feelings. I think, I think we're, I think some people are really are, you know, there's probably a percentage that's really just stuck and yeah. like absolutely not right um yeah and and especially with kids it's just it's just really complicated um to to convince people to to do so um versus effective of their kids which makes yeah. i mean it makes yeah. total sense i mean i can't i mean yeah you know everyone's protective of their kids like we're, we're at a point where like you know i know conservatives are calling people putting masks on their kids like child abusers um and i and i think there's 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 two sides to to, to how we like it's just how we protect kids and and people want to protect their kids in different ways and uh you know it goes back to like the de like i don't know degradation of of how we treat each other which is not respectful in the slightest uh for the most part i'm mean, glad yeah. that like we have respect here at least but um yeah, 100%, um, I've, yeah. I've, yeah um anyway uh last last kind of question um what has been the thing that you've most learned about yourself um, and others that through all like the negative that we've kind of discussed and some of the positive that kind of give you hope um, during these, these times and, and maybe for the future? Um, oh man, it's been tough because I feel like this has brought a lot of like bad out of people mm -hmm. and it's really made like a lot of the divides in the country very apparent. Uh, mm -hmm. And then also like just my experience, per like personally, like I've seen like in like immeasurable suffering. I mean, people people who die of COVID and die, you know, from you know uh, COVID pneumonia, they die in pain mm -hmm. and suffering tremendously. Um, I mean, just hold your breath underwater. <laughs> Yeah. How does it feel not being able to have air? Like you mm -hmm. die suffocating. And um, that is horrible. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, I think that there is a silver lining in all of this. Um, and that really is, I think, a lot of it was, you know, when I was in New York City and people 
we had no idea what this was and if it was going to kill us or if we were going to get it and all this stuff and people still showed up to work you know and i've seen just incredible incredible amounts of compassion at work you know whether i'm in you know a critical care unit or if i'm being floated and working on a regular hospital floor which happens mm -hmm. um i've seen so much compassion even in the wake of like this highly politicized the highly politicized world that we live in um and you know i've held people's hands when they're getting put on a ventilator and i've held it when they're getting that tube taken out um and i think i wish we were able to build those connections without a global pandemic <laughs> yeah. but i think that you know um you know that's that's probably been the silver lining in all of this is just like how much people care people really care you know yeah i i i um it, it I don't think people really think too often about their own mortality. Um, and I've thought about it a lot the past year. And yeah. I have to tell you. <laughs> exactly. And, and people don't, people, we just casually are just like, you know, in some of these, some of these things that, that I find people get into arguments about or they fight about with loved ones is just so stupid. It's like, really? oh, you, yeah. you know, you know, I don't like this type of birthday cake fuck off like <laughs> and, and it's so beyond that that when you really like have someone there for you um like marriages or you know relationships they they go down these like rabbit holes of shit that just doesn't matter like yeah. would you rather spend you know the next hour yelling at each other or just like you know everybody love everybody <laughs> um yeah. And, and and really focusing in on that piece because we don't have unlimited time here um and i think the more we spend in negativity and and not just enjoying the company and the people we're with looking for people's flaws and and you know people have them for sure but uh you know we all do yeah yeah anyway um that was like you know my heartstrings pulled a little bit there with your with your closing remarks there i'm not gonna lie um <laughs> <laughs> no but i think you've got such a good point with what you just said like like it really another thing is you know i facetimed my family every single day like i moved out of my my parents apartment at the very start of the pandemic um and i call i facetimed them every day and i think i was closer with them in those couple months and i than i'd been in a long time so that was kind of a silver lining because it was you know like this is this could be the the end for all of us <laughs> You know, and you just, yep. you focus on what matters and you really try to spend quality time with other people, um, even though it yep. may not, you know, at the time been physically, you know, physically present with them, but you can still be mind and soul with someone. Um, and I think that was, that was special. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that's gotten me into it in some trouble in some relationships because it's just like, does this matter? Like, I love you. <laughs> fuck, fuck all of this. Like, <laughs> Like, you know, like this doesn't matter. Like I forgot to take out the trash. Oh, like sure, yeah. before it. <laughs> um, and uh what what John Gottman, who's a really like he runs the Gottman Institute, um, what he says is like he like the six second rule, like not not to be confused with eating off the floor, but like 
to greet your spouse, to say goodbye to your spouse or whoever it is, just lock lips for six seconds. Like look in, look in each other's eyes for six yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. introduce some fucking meaning before you go about your day into meaninglessness. I hope most people live a meaningful life, but um, you know, most of meaning comes from our, the people we interact with and not necessarily the, the calculators. So you could take your 12 seconds a day to show you there. Um, yeah. and, and we need more of that. Um, not necessarily everyone should be kissing, but you know, it starts at the home, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> it does. Yeah. Anyway, really? uh, I, uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story and, uh, perspectives, um, and for being the first guest on the, uh, opposing points podcast. Uh, I hope people, uh, can learn something from it. Um, and I hope it's also helped you. It's, it's, it sounds like you've been through a lot and I hope it helps to talk through it a bit. Um, it with does. Me. It does. I think it takes a little bit of time to get into it because, you know, part of it is, you know, this is our first time doing, this is my first time doing something like this. Um, but also it's, uh, it's almost a little bit like a therapy session, you know, <laughs> you like share, uh, you know, a lot of things. And, and I think in sharing that you process a lot of it too. So this yeah. is awesome for me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to do that for you. Thank you for being on here for me. And uh, just want to thank you for for everything you've done and, and, you know, the lives you saved, the comfort you provided. Um, it really means a lot. Um, Thank to, you, Dave. To, yeah. to everybody. All right. I appreciate you taking the time and don't forget me when you get a $50 million Spotify deal. <laughs> no, I don't think they'd tolerate me there. Uh, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I'll take a, a title sponsorship with Jay-Z or something. I mean, yeah, uh, that would be cool too. All right. Uh, Thanks, man. Don't forget me. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye.